As you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. From the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descended like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in this good news. The word of God for you and I, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Terry, thank you for those words and always to the choir with your beautiful voices, but your your glad hearts. You bless us so much and we're grateful. There are ashes at the beginning of Lent and at the heart of our Christian tradition. Ashes, the residue of burnt-out fires, cold, lifeless. Ashes remind us that something is not right, that human beings have settled for less when we might have looked to the heavens. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's how we began this season Wednesday night. And now the church proclaims these 40 days of spiritual journeying, self-examination, repentance, fasting, contemplation. We begin with ashes of a reminder of who we are. But before we get too deep into that sense of brokenness, Uh, Before we think of Lent as just a season of ashes, of 40 days of moan and groan and woe is me, listen to the next images the church offers to us this very day. On Wednesday, this past Wednesday, uh, last year's palms were reduced to dark gray ashes. We wore them as a symbol of our mortality and our brokenness acknowledging our need for and dependence on God and God's love and grace. Today, very different. We hear about the arrival of a living, soaring spirit slipping out of heaven and into our world. On Wednesday, the church proclaimed a 40-day solemn period of contemplation, self-denial, fasting. Today, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God has come near What he's saying is, it's right here now. No need to wait. On Wednesday, we were marked with the ashes of our mortality. 
Today, we see the promise of eternal life as Jesus rises up out of the waters and emerges from this wilderness experience transformed. On Wednesday, we left in silence, contemplating our place in a very broken world. Today, Jesus says, good news, good news. It's breaking into the world. The kingdom of God is nearby. Believe in the possibilities. Notice the difference between Wednesday and today. On the one hand, very solemn, projecting a season of contemplation and self-denial, but in the midst of that, along with that, is the glory and blessing of God. There's an ancient Jewish tale about a rabbi who carried two slips of paper in his pockets. The slip in one pocket said, you are nothing but dust and ashes. The slip in the other read, the world was created for you. We are creatures of the dust, of the wilderness, but we're also touched by the breath of God and created in God's image from the very first words of the Bible. Your life, my life, our lives have meeting places right between heaven and earth, both worldly and divine. On Ash Wednesday, Christians are imposed with ashes that act an act that also has a dual meaning. Now, I want you to think about the word imposition just for a moment. Aside from Ash Wednesday, when you hear the word imposition, what do you think? It is an unwelcome burden or demand. We generally think of it as a, a, an unreasonable expectation, such as uh, an unwanted tax or a sanctuary where the heat is still operating or a mask mandate. But it also means the laying on of hands as a form of blessing. The imposition of ashes, a gift, a humbling reminder of our frailties and our mortality. At the same time, we experience the ashes of a as a blessing and a sign of God's abiding love and forgiveness and redemptive power. Mark's gospel is, is very different in the way it's composed from the other gospels. Mark's gospel begins with the account of John the Baptist in the wilderness, calling Israel, calling the world to repentance and de demanding the imposition of baptism, if you will, in the Jordan River. It is to prepare the way of the Lord which the world did not understand what that would mean. John's repentance, his call to repentance, implies all is not right with God's world, and it is a call to change. And immediately in this very brief passage, Jesus comes, he seeks out John. Jesus did not need to be baptized. He was sinless before God and the world. Yet... When he emerged from the water, something had happened, something had changed. He had acquired a unique sense of his God-given identity and affirmation. He too, not needing baptism, was transformed. And you notice that Jesus alone here hears this 
extraordinary, life-changing word. You are my beloved son. I'm very pleased, very pleased, God says. And then that very same power of God drives him into the wilderness for a period of spiritual and physical struggle and trial. I like the way Mark describes this event. He, he describes this event in religious terms. In those days or at that time, baptism, water, spirit descending, heaven's opening, divine voice affirming, Satan driving, Satan tempting, wild beasts threatening, angels ministering. Mark covers a lot in a very few verses. And the Holy Spirit there at once gentle and dove-like yet acting with awesome power sets Jesus on a new revolutionary spiritual journey dedicated to transforming this world. Such is the transforming power of God's Spirit, not just for Jesus, but for you and me. This is our story as well. In the wilderness for 40 days, a time for Jesus of of trial, of strategizing, of prayer, of testing, And then Jesus, it's very brief, Jesus just leaves after the death of John, the arrest of John, and, and he comes to Galilee preaching. God had one son only. I'm very proud of this. He made a preacher out of him. But why did Jesus preach? That's not what Israel was expecting or longing for. They felt that this Messiah, this Savior, might come as a, as a powerful political figure, as a, as a military might to overthrow the oppression of Rome. Why, didn't, why did he preach? Why didn't he write a book? Well, in a way, <laughs> he did write a book. Um, why didn't he organize an army or run for public office or issue decrees, or write letters to the editor? or send petitions to Rome. Why did Jesus do what he did? Because Jesus came to be a proclaimer. The bearer, the teller, the talker, the preacher, the teacher, the actualizer of God's kingdom for you and me. He came to tell us what God was doing, what God would do, what he was about to do. The time is fulfilled, he says. Here's the word, the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn around, look, it's for you. Believe in this good news. He came to proclaim for you and me the very nature and immediate presence of God's kingdom. He said, if you will pray to the Father, I'll send the Holy Spirit to be with you in that endeavor, in that life, in that discipleship, in that journey. He proclaimed God's kingdom. And it is there for us, the people of God, disciples of Jesus Christ, that the power to live is found. The power to live, to forgive, to be in company with one another, to make love the most profound power the world has ever known. That's the nature of God's love. 
It's Jesus incarnate for us. And with his baptism, blessing, and trial, Jesus signals the end of his former life. Now he is Lord, Savior, bread of life, the door, the gate to that kingdom. And for us, you and I, our response to Jesus and our response to the world through him, we have been given an identity as followers of Jesus Christ, a worth and a dignity that is grounded in the eternal unconditional love of God. We are invited into that kingdom to participate, to live into it and for it, for Jesus. Discipleship in the midst of the kingdom. The late Malcolm Forbes, when he was the publisher of Forbes magazine, liked to say that diamonds, he didn't say diamonds are a girl's best friend. I want to get that. Um, He said diamonds are nothing more than chunks of coal that stuck to their jobs. That's a good definition of discipleship. It's a journey, it's not a destination. For the Christian, this season of Lent reminds us that we can be transformed by God's hand, not just individually, but as a church. We're in that change over zone by the power of God's Spirit right here in this place. We can be people of great expectation. We can be transformed by God's hand, just as Jesus demonstrated in the wilderness. For us, even the wilderness as it did and was for Jesus, has its merits. We are in need of that disruptive uh, disruptive Holy Spirit, all of us, because we are both ashes and glory. We are all in need. We are not a perfect church. We're not a perfect people. Um, I was reminded of that uh, early in my uh, seminary experience when uh, in a class one day a professor asked it was doing sort of a, a, an oral survey he he said what made you people feel like God was calling you into the ministry uh, I was new to that experience and I did not answer uh, but another student did he said well I like working with people the professor looked at that student and said son you haven't met many of the people you're going to be working with. (laughs) Some of them just aren't all that nice. Listen to that, Katie. (laughs) You see, you see, we, we are all in need of that wilderness experience, that transforming, transforming power of God, of the Holy Spirit, for we are recipients of that power. It's not just that we repent, that we turn around, but in doing so, we, we accept and follow the power of God's love. It is true that most of us, some of the time, and some of us, most of the time, we are the church, but we're not that easy to get along with, to like. And that goes for at least one of your three preachers. Confession. But the good news, the good news is that God does not love us because we're likable. He likes for us to be likable, but that's not why he loves us. He doesn't love us because we're that nice or neat or socially acceptable or easily 
light. God does not save us because we believe the right things, say the right things, do the right things. God shows his love for us. You'll remember this. You'll reflect on this. You will will recognize this, that while we were yet sinners, and I'll put another name on it, while we are still in the wilderness, traveling together, broken, but receiving the promise of the kingdom, while that, Christ died for us. Why did Jesus go into the wilderness? He went into the wilderness for you and for me. He died for us as well. God loves us. Us ordinary, everyday wilderness journeyers who sometimes get it right, sometimes get it wrong, sometimes don't get along, but somehow we are blessed by the redeeming spirit of God here in this place. And God offers you and I this extraordinary gift of his forgiveness and grace and transforming love. Remember the rabbi's notes, we are dust and ashes. We are people for whom the world, God's world, is created. It is Lent. Yes, it is a time of ashes. It's an important time, but it's also wilderness time, Holy Spirit time for you and for me. We're passing the baton. I appreciate the way Sam said it, not just from clergy to clergy, but among each other, that we might be blessed and be a blessing to others. It is a time to be transformed, a time to look at our place in the wilderness and see just beyond that, right in our presence, we are kingdom people. Dust and ashes, loved by the glory of God for you and me. Because if we did not have the wilderness time, the valley times, along with the mountaintop experiences, we might fail to notice the wings of the Holy Spirit bearing the sweet, fresh air of Christ's redeeming love right here into our lungs, right here, right now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.